0: on medical services to a population in which the indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison.
1: It depends who's telling the story I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another and I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is.
2: Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR.
0: We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution.
2: Line fire. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And yeah, we've got quite a few, um, a few guests coming up on the show today. First up, waiting to speak to us right now is Auntie Nolene. And Auntie Nolene has, um, has been interviewed by us before. Some years ago now, and at that particular time, she um, spoke to us about her extensive research in regards to um, some some books that had been that had been brought into the library at Moree. Auntie Eileen, at that particular time, also spoke to us about Mile Creek. She was a guest speaker there, and. Mile Creek Committee um, had It still organise, I believe, every year. Um, they honour the people that were massacred in that area. And she's also won an Order of Australia Award, and um, she's, she's from, a, from the second largest Aboriginal nation on the eastern side. So um, we'll be speaking to her first of all. But before we do that, before we put her through, just quickly, I wanted to also introduce our Our second guest who will be coming on later, and that's Phil from the Stolen Wealth Games, um, also called the Commonwealth Games, of course. But the Stolen Wealth Games has has been a name that's been adopted because of the fact that there's been so much uh, going on in terms of colonisation and and many, many other issues which which we'll discuss with Phil, namely looking at protest and how protest and civil liberties have been remoted eroded on the Gold Coast, and also about how Dylan Voller and many other people have been arrested as well. So we'll talk about that and some of the heavy-handed police tactics that are happening over there. And then after that, last but not least, we'll speak with Angelica from the Refugee Action Collective, and she's going to give us some background information about Manus Island and some of the updates have been happening in terms of refugees and asylum seekers, and she'll do a report back on a protest that happened on Friday in regards to asylum seekers and refugees. So let's now cross over, hopefully, to Auntie Nolly. Hello, Auntie. Hello. It's lovely to have you, Auntie Nolly.
3: It's lovely of of you to have invited me onto your program. Thank you, Governinda.
2: With great pleasure. So, I'm wondering, um, Auntie, if you could just talk a little bit about the land you're from and then maybe speak about some of the, the work that you've been doing.
3: Oh, uh, to start with, uh, I am of, uh, Milroy, and uh, I come from the Camilleroy Nation, which is the second largest Aboriginal nation on the eastern side of Australia and my people, the smaller family group of the Gamilaroi, are from the Kumbai, who uh, lived at Terry High High. It was about 60, 70 miles out of Maury back then, and it was where the government set the first Aboriginal reserve in 1895, where nearly all my people were rounded up and made to live on. No houses or anything like that. But they were uh, uh, expected to... The controls from this reserve. My granny Lizzie was a head of our family back then, and she was born Gamilaroi and she was born in an area outside uh, of. And there was no names for the places back then, just the place of uh, waterholes and springs, which is outside of Maury, towards uh, going towards Narrabri in a little place called Edgeroi.
2: Fantastic, and that's a great introduction. Thanks for that. Now, I believe you've been pretty busy, and, and I, I was speaking in my introduction about Mile Creek as well. Um, that's still happening, isn't it? The, well,
3: I was a member of the Mile Creek Committee. Sadly, I had to resign because I can't travel, I've got to cook back. Of course. But while I was uh, on the committee, uh, it was the worst massacre to ever have been carried out on Aboriginal people in Australia, and every 10th of June, or what the, the day that is closest to the 10th of June, uh, people come from everywhere to Myall Creek. And Myall Creek is just outside of Bingra. And Bingra is not far from Moore, It's about, um, uh, I guess, about an hour's drive from here, maybe a little bit more. But people come from everywhere each year to uh, of the anniversary of that, that shocking um, massacre, of 28 people of of, um, Wirurai. The Wirurai people were also part of the Gamilaroi Nation and the Gamilaroi were part of the Kamilaroi. So it's a bit confusing, but once you know who you are, it's quite easy to uh, rattle off your tongue.
2: Absolutely. And we were speaking the other day, um, Auntie, about some of the work that you've been doing with the cemeteries. Can you talk about that? Well, uh, first, uh, uh,
3: I think what I have to explain is that when I was growing up with Granny Lizzie, I was born in Granny Lizzie's tin hut down on the Mihai River here in Moree. And when my parents married, they built a little hut, tin hut in front of hers and I was born, in Granny Lizzie's hut. And Granny Lizzie was a great influence on my life for the short time that I knew her. She died in 1954, but she was born in 18, around about 18, um, oh, I think about 18, 85. Yep. And when she died in the Aboriginal section, the segregated ward at the back of the Maury Hospital, Dr. Hollingworth gets her age to be about 98 to 101 years old. So I'm speaking with reverence about my granny Lizzie who, who was our elder back then. Even, even our parents had to take notice of her. She was our elder. And every Sunday it was, we had to, re, we had to go to, walk to, rain, hail or sunshine to the cemetery where all our uh, people were buried in a segregated section. And that is the section that I have now uh, researched. There are over 200 Aboriginal people buried in this segregated part of the hospital because Maury was the only town in Australia at that time that had uh, a, written, a written municipal act that flowed right through the town into death. And this segregated section started on the 31st of May in 1940 with a Mr Charlie Whiteman from Bogabilla. So on the on the 31st of May uh, this year, I have now collected the last, um, what can I call them, plaque, identification plaques. There's 176 of them not identified, and um, we started a program to restore and beautify that section back in 1995. In 1996, it was finished, and since then, it's been called the Nagindi Tubra. Area, which means the elders gave it a name, calling it a place they sleep in, a place of quietness. I have researched for over 33 years, and I have found all that I could find uh, buried in that section.
2: That's so important, isn't it? And it is. And what what will happen now? Do you think?
3: Well, on the 31st of May, we've um, I've just picked up the last of the plaques. We're going to have a, a, a plaque-laying service with the high school's uh, students and um, Aboriginal elders and dignitaries here from Maury. We'll all meet down there on the 31st of May and we will start laying the plaques and we will be identifying all those graves that have not been identified during the um, 77 years ago when it started and it's been closed for 50 years. So from 1940 to 1968, there were over 215 people buried, Aboriginal people buried in that section.
2: So you mean that it, it was segregated from the other, from everybody yes, else? Yes, it
3: was. Yes, it was, if you were a Church of England faith, and the majority of Aborig- Aboriginal people back there were Anglican, and they all walked off the reserve at Terry High High, and they came to Moree to escape having their children being taken. White men would ride in on horseback onto the reserve and they would just take the children. You've heard of the Solon Generation. They yep. could pour in one day. So all those people who were left at the reserve from 1917 to 1924, they all started to walk off the reserve, away from the manager... And, and many of them without shoes even at that time. So they walked, and the, the majority of those families uh, stayed here in Maury, camped here in Morrie. That's my mob. And then a lot went over the border into Queensland. So um, there are also uh, uh, there is also a burial ground at Terry High High. And I have researched that. I found 45 people buried out there, and they are what I call our traditional people. You've got Karagundai Joe buried out there. He um, he was king. He had a breastplate as king of the Mihai. You had uh, uh, Mr. Barlow, our King Billy Barlow and his, his queen, Maggie. They had breastplates. They're buried there. You've got a soldier from World War I buried out there. No graves. No identification. There's over 45 of them. So I've got a sign outside of the area where they were buried and it names all those people that I have researched and found buried out there.
2: You know, Auntie, that's, that's most embarrassing. I mean, not, not embarrass, embarrassing for the, for the Christians, you know, at that yes. time mm-hmm. who mm. were quite happy to preach the name of Christ to Aboriginal people and yet they were segregating them and not identifying them. I mean, how's that?
0: Yes.
3: Well, when I came, I moved away because my husband and I flatly refused to rear our children and and have them treated like we were. And uh, we we, we didn't want them to grow up in a town where the colour of your skin and uh, the way you lived in the Aboriginal camps determined your way of life so we moved away I came back in 1983 I got a job in the nursing home here and I was just appalled when I went down the cemetery because it still stuck in my mind about Sunday you know with Granny Lizzie having to walk all the way through the cemetery and God love her. this is why I think I have started all this work that I've completed now at that cemetery so Granny Lizzie is a, is a, is a figure right behind and pushing me so it, it, at that time, uh, it, it, it was really, really bad living in Morey. So uh, the, the segregation, uh, uh, the Catholics were buried in, uh, those who were Catholic uh, religion, they were buried in, in their denominations. There was Catholic Goodness. Presbyterians. But the majority of them were uh, Church of England.
2: Uh, maybe I better not say the comment any further. But.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't ah. want to
2: get yourself into trouble, girl. Ah, <laughs> it's it, it. Look, the genocide. It's the genocide, isn't it, Auntie Nolan? Nolene, you well, know?
3: I don't know. I I don't get too political, wrapped up in. No, the politics no, no. Because, but it's you know, not really I, about I being go, political, you know. I just go with the flow. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's things that you've got to do, and I find that. Uh, all those people should not be forgotten. They no. should not be forgotten. You got you got our uh, Dave Kambadler buried there, and you've got uh, a, a people like who, uh, who we knew and 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 we had to be uh, polite and respectful to. You know our elders. They're buried there, and, and 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 all the little babies that were lost. There's a hundred over a hundred babies buried there because there was no. There was no health scheme. There was the women, you know, there was no humidity crib when they had their babies in the segregated ward. There was no humidity crib. You know, there was no uh, refrigeration. You died one day, you had to be buried the next, you know. It all sort of, it, 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 it's just mind-boggling to see the poor things. You know, the poor things, what they had to go through. And they're my people. They're my yeah, people. That's right. I've got to do something. I've got to have them identified. I don't want them to be forgotten.
2: But that's not being political. That's honouring your people. That's not yeah. being political. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. You're honouring your mean, people. Some people, when you start talking about the past in a certain town like here, you know, people don't like it. They don't. They want the tourism. They want, you know, but they don't want the passport up. That's their and problem. And I'm afraid that... And I'm afraid uh, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. That is their problem. What happened in the past? You cannot change history to soothe people. And what happened in the past happened. I lived it. I lived through it. And I can comment and I can talk and I've published three books on the Millroy people here in this, this community. I've published uh, Wanungalee, I've published Burrawalai, and I even went as far as publishing a book for my withering soldiers, warriors, called Go You Rangs, and that's the Boomerang Football Club. They formed their own club back in 1981 because they couldn't get games, so they formed their own club, and, and they're still
2: going today. How can we read those books?
3: You, you can get them from the library, or you can get them from the Deanne Centre. I founded the Deanne Centre back in 1995 when I started getting all these programs through. I instigated an Aboriginal historical group from our community, and we started getting tapping into money. I got um, money through Australian members saluting their service. Uh, bringing their spirits home, and I've got the cemetery section on a, what um, what is sound, trail. I've done all that because I don't want to see our soldiers forgotten. So I worked, worked in with war veterans, and we've got every soldier, Aboriginal soldier that, that joined and served Good. in the Maury, buried in the Maury Cemetery. I've got them a monument, and
2: I've got them a plaque. Good on you. I mean, look, you know, late, lately I've had such a sense of urgency to interview older people like you. It's very important.
3: Yes. See, and, and we also have there in that area, in that burial area that I'm still restoring and identifying graves, I've got a tranquility there in uh, area there in honour of all those servicemen. And and uh and all their names are on the plaque there. And there are other p- services that we have. There's a plaque there. The Guida family history group, uh, the uh, the non-aboriginal group here, they helped me. You know, there was just so many people so uh, who were were so willing to come forward, yeah. and I thank them from the bottom of my heart. For holding my Aboriginal people's interests at heart, I went on the internet and I got through crowdfunding. I got enough money to be able to put uh, 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 pay for all these plaques that I've got here now. Sorting through, there were seven sections, and I'm I'm sorting through all these now that have to be uh, identified by the uh, high school students. They'll be putting them all down onto the graves yeah. on the 31st of May.
2: Wonderful. Auntie Nolly, thank you so much for coming onto the program and I'd really like to interview you again at some stage, maybe towards June perhaps, would um, be great yes, to have that'd you be back wonderful.
3: on. Yeah, because it's going to be a, it's going to be a historical day yes. for Aboriginal people. A, a, a historical day to go down in history and I'm also getting it filmed and I'm also having drones over the top taking aerial shots Good. so it's going to be a wonderful day and it'll be uh, recognising our ancestors
2: and that will be in Moree on the 31st Moree, of May yeah. to honour in honor.
3: this segregated section of the Moree Cemetery
2: Auntie, I will delight actually in calling you after that day and perhaps you giving a little bit of a report back. How does that sound?
3: I'd be happy to, I'd be happy to go on air and let people know what we're doing here.
2: Thanks so much, Auntie. Have a lovely evening. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Take care. Yes, bye bye. bye bye. Yalu. 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 And that was Auntie Nolene, who has done some amazing work. Amazing. Um, and it's great. I just Words can't even describe how I feel after that interview. It always makes me feel so much better when we can, we can contact elders and hear their stories because that's so, so important and it really is a huge part of the Do and Time show. And now we're going to be um, doing, having a song. It's called Cannot Buy My Soul by us holder what you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice the codes of practice cover matters relating to program content including local content news current affairs Australian music programs for children and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community they also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3CR.org.au forward slash who we are. And what a miracle! My producer was able to perform a miracle here and, and get onto Chris Breen. How are you, Chris?
1: I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Indeed, um Angela, Angelica was unavailable at the in the end. Um it's approximately four thirty six and we're listening to going to be listening to an interview now with Chris Breen from the Refugee Action Collective. It's so lovely to have you, Chris. Now I'm wondering um, Yeah.
1: Go on. Go on. No, 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 you go. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so uh, so Chris, it, yeah, you rang up today, and it's interesting you rang up to be interviewed, and you're a backup. You're a backup, and now you're in huh? So yep. I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about the background to Manus Island and what's been going on, and give a report back about the protest on Friday.
1: Okay, um, Manus, you know, continues to be a hellhole it's coming up for five years now. Um, there was an Afghan refugee who was brutally stabbed uh, on April the 8th last week. Um, he refused to hand over his phone and was stabbed in the, the back and the neck and the shoulders, um, you know, a T-shirt drenched in blood, uh, which was quite horrific. Um, he was unable to get immediate medical assist- assistance and actually rang Doctors for Refugees in Australia. And um, Dr. Berger, who took the call, you know, said he, he could have quite easily had life-threatening um, injuries and provided assistance. And the doctor also told the ABC that uh, you know there will be catastrophes that happen because there is inadequate medical care for the um, people on Manus Island. And it was only late last year that um uh, Australia effectively forced the refugees from one prison to another because Manus was declared illegal to get around that they've um closed the old one and forced the refugees to a a new prison they starved them they beat them to get them there and as part of um at at the time you know. Peter Dutton said, you know, the idea that there's any problem with security uh, is a nonsense and that has tragically been, you know, uh, shown that what he said is a nonsense and refugees' fears have come true. This stabbing comes after there were two uh, bashings a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Baruz Bachani, one of the um, leaders of the refugee resistance inside, pointed out on Twitter that, you know, the, the stabbing of the refugee, this was Australia's, Fault Australia dumped 600 people in the community, um, the small community there, and of course there are problems. Australia is doing harm and knows it. So we had a protest um, outside the immigration department, small protest, uh, calling for the Afghan refugee to be brought to Australia for treatment, and for all of the refugees um, on who've been forced there to Manus, uh to. You brought to Australia. Um, I mean, because the uh, as I said, it's been five years almost since that they've been there, and the United States deal is interminably slow. It wasn't a solution for the Afghan refugee. It's not a solution for most of them. It's only forty nine people who've been sent from Manus to uh, the U.S. It would take you know up to a decade to clear them all at this rate. And with Trump's racist travel ban, they're not taking the largest group, which is Iranians. Uh, so the you know um, the only humane, uh, logical solution is to bring all of those refugees to Australia. I, mean, I, I do note that uh, a week or two ago, that Foreign Minister Julie Bishop said the only other country that would take them is Cambodia. Uh, which is a, a lie, like uh, New Zealand's offered 150 places per year, but yeah. the, the coalition government won't even, won't even accept that. Terrible. It is. And I, mean, I guess the other tragic news in the last couple of days is on um, Nauru, uh, the 10-year-old who had attempted suicide several times, was finally ordered by a um, court that uh, should be brought to Australia, but, you know, it's... It's reprehensible, it's, it's, it's beyond words that lawyers have to go to court to get treatment for a, you know, suicidal 10-year-old. That a 10-year-old should be suicidal in the first place is just a, an indictment of everything that Australia is doing. Um, it's, it's beyond time that the camps were closed.
2: It is indeed, and and in fact... Wasn't there... Okay, so this is not the Manus Island that was there before, was it? This is actually another Manus Island, which is even worse. Didn't they transfer them, the
1: asylum seekers. Yeah, so the original the original um, detention center was built in the middle of a Navy base. They've now been moved to three different uh, locations, um, in Loringale and Hillside House. Um, the locations don't have uh, the same sort of security... Uh, they don't have um, adequate food. They certainly don't have adequate medical uh, services. The medical services are only available in the day, out of hours. They're told to go to Lorongo Hospital. They've got to walk like 10 kilometres to get to the clinic. And a lot of the refugees, there's over 50% of them that have serious mental health conditions. Like doctors have started to write about a... uh, I forget the word a new condition which is yeah. you know been developed which they, as a result of detention Um and they don't have access to the medications they need it is you know there there will be more catastrophes um, before the, the the you know the centres are finally shut for good.
2: Yeah, look, it's it's pretty deplorable, Chris, and I I hope you don't mind, but I have kept you on here a bit longer because you know there's there's just so many issues to consider here, namely that also that this particular, this particular responsibility is really towards the Australian government, isn't it? Aren't they paying for all this care? What, what are they doing?
1: Yes, it is, it is the Australian government. I mean, it's cost the Australian government, uh, according to government audits, uh, $10 billion over four years, you know, at the same time as they're savaging health and, and welfare and education. Um, you know, it's an extraordinary expense. To have refugees processed in the community on the Australian mainland, like happened before 1992, with the right to work, would cost uh, you know a tenth of that amount. And Australia, I mean, you know, Peter Dutton has said for a, or tried to say for a long time that no, it's PNG's responsibility, no, it's Nauru's responsibility. But there have been plenty of court cases, and the court case in Australia with the you know ten year old coming to Australia shows that it is Australia's responsibility. The courts understand that very well. The Papua New Guinea um, government says it's Australia's responsibility. Papua New Guinea has actually set up a task force now to try and negotiate with Australia to, um, you know, to get the the men off Manus Island. Uh, Australia needs to stop bullying its neighbours and to accept responsibility for the refugees.
2: So the child is is in Australia now?
1: Uh, no, the the child I. The flights had not been booked. That may have changed uh, since I saw the news last night. But as far as I understand, the child is still on Nauru. Uh, hopefully that's changed, but I, I I'm not sure.
2: So getting back to the Afghan refugee, so he was repeatedly stabbed in the shoulders, back, and neck, wasn't he, with a screwdriver? Yep. A screwdriver, yep, right? After right. uh, refusing yep. to hand over his phone. What? Why would they want his phone? For goodness sake. It wouldn't be an Why iPhone. Would want... It wouldn't even be worth
1: stealing, would it? Um, I, I don't know what sort of phone it was. I mean, the I'm being Manus Island is mm. an impoverished community. Yes, yes. Um, like one of the things that lay behind the original um, attacks that killed Reservarati was some of the resentments about, you know, the, the locals in the detention centre get something yeah. like a dollar an hour. I forget the exact amount. Sure. Whereas Australians can get over a hundred thousand. 150000 um, and because there was the um, compensation case, so yeah. the refugees have ended up with small amounts of money, each $10,000 or something when it comes down to it, um, some of the locals think, okay, the refugees have got money, and so that creates problems as well.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Um, I mean, tragically, the, the crime for which compensation was paid out is still continuing. It, you know, normally compensation cases resolve matters, but this is not, not the case here at, sure. at all.
2: Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult, isn't it? And I, I think that the Refugee Action Collective is, amongst other collectives, are doing what they can, isn't it? To, as
1: much as Oh, uh, we are indeed. Um, we did not intend or hope to be here so long fighting this battle. Um, but we are certainly not going to go away. We are not going to shut up. We are not going to stop until every single person on Manus and Nauru is free. I mean, the next big uh, event that we have coming up for your uh, listeners Thank will you. be on Saturday, July the 21st, which will be um, because we're looking at the, the 19th of July was the will be the fifth year anniversary of the reopening of offshore processing. Sure. And so we are calling a rally to say five years is enough.
2: Absolutely. And and indeed, just a, a final question, Chris, I'm wondering if you could just briefly comment on what do you think that Labor's perspective is on this and, and the Greens?
1: Well, I mean, the Greens have been good on closing the offshore camps for a, a long time and, you know, they continue to have that line. And Labor's position becomes more and more important the closer we get to the election because, you know, uh, Turnbull's lost 30 news, news polls in a row. And I think a, you know, a, a, it looks like Labor is going to win at this stage. So what they do the day after the election is very important. There's also the Labor Party conference which is coming up on the 26th of uh, July uh, this year, be in Adelaide, which is very close to our rally. Uh, at the moment, Labor is still committed, tragically, to the coalition policy of offshore processing. There have been little shifts. So they say they're now opposed to indefinite detention, uh, you know, which didn't used to be the case. Um, I have been told there may be some sort of announcement around offshore processing at their Labor conference, but exactly what that is um isn't clear labor has also said that they would accept new zealand's offer of 150 refugees per year but obviously that still wouldn't be uh wouldn't wouldn't get everybody out of the camps then as much oh. as they say they're opposed to indefinite detention until they have a plan to end that it's it's hard for that to be credible Absolutely. um because you know the coalition has spent 5 years talking about third country deals they're not there um, I don't think is going to be in any position to, you know, to, to do that any better, and until they can say, bring those refugees here, we will take them, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be enough.
2: Absolutely. And, yeah, so there have been a few shifts, and I believe the Refugee Action Collective had an event about this last July, didn't they, about looking at, at what, what we can do to, to shift Labor a little bit more?
1: Uh, yes, um, and actually, I should say the other uh, thing that we've got coming up, which is quite important, we've got a forum on the Monday, the twenty-third of April, at the Nurses Union, a joint forum with Trades Hall um, uh, Council, uh, called "Change the Rules for Refugees," um, which is looking at how we can use the, you know, the the, the muscle of unions try and put some more pressure on the government and indeed the the Labor Party as we get um, up to the election. And so we'll have a couple of speakers, Matt Kunkel from Trades Hall, uh, Taki Azara, who's a Hazara refugee and a National Union Workers Organiser and a former uh, teacher from Nauru. So we'd really encourage um, people to come along to that, 630, 535 Elizabeth Street um, at the the Nurses Union building there. And so some of that will also touch on, you know, how we can put more pressure on, on Labor to change its policy as well.
2: Absolutely. Do you have any final comments, Chris?
1: Um, maybe just one thing. I just want to, to pay my respect to uh, Jill Rosbecki, who um, passed away recently. She was a long-time refugee uh, campaigner. She was uh, she worked for the Uniting Church and was involved with Labour for, for refugees. She was involved in the Palm Sunday organizing from the very beginning um, and passed away over a period of illness. Um, and it's been a I mean I guess it's a tragedy that she didn't live to um, see the camps close. But when they finally are and the history of those camps is written and the crimes remembered, she will be remembered as one of the, the lights who shone against the darkness that we've witnessed.
2: It is darkness, isn't it, Chris? And, and how long was she a campaigner for?
1: Uh, she'd worked with uh, refugees for over 15 years. Um, she'd certainly, I'd known her for about five years since she got involved with the, the, the Palm Sunday Organising Committee and the Refugee Advocacy Network.
2: Wonderful. And while I've got you here on on the phone, Chris, could you just um talk just quickly, talk about the meetings and how how um people can get involved with the Refugee Action
1: Collective? Uh, yeah, the Refugee Action Collective meets every Monday. We've got a meeting tonight if anybody's um uh, in the city. Uh, we meet every Monday six thirty p.m. at the Nurses Union, which is five hundred and thirty-five um, Elizabeth Street. In Melbourne, if you turn up a bit late, um, press the button or you can call my number, which is 0403 to get in.
2: Well, it's good that we've got good communication, isn't it? That's terribly important, which is more than I can say for communication between the Australian government and the refugees. Indeed. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming onto the program at such short notice. Thank you very much. Uh,
1: thanks once again for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.
2: And that was Chris Breen from the Refugee Action Collective, speaking about refugees and asylum seekers and um, talking about quite a few events that are coming up. Mark your diaries, listeners. Um, if you wish to refresh your memories, there will be a podcast coming up about the Do and Time show this week sometime. We do have a podcast every week. It's approximately 4.52. I also forgot to announce one of the songs that we had, and that was... Um, uh, it was called Fire by the Rumpy Band. And I wanted to thank our guests um, this evening. I wanted to thank, first of all, Auntie Nolene for um, dedicating her time to the show and also to Chris Breen. Not sure what happened with Phil. I'm going to give him a call after this or give someone a call to see if he is in fact safe. There are lots of um, heavy-handed tactics that are being employed by the police on the Gold Coast. Um, during the Stolen Wealth Games, Um, although I believe they're they're just about over. Um, I'm just going to do a quick announcement and then we'll say our goodbyes.
0: call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au 3cr the voice of dissent
2: and you're back with the doing time show it's approximately 454 um, just wanted to actually formally thank our producer rob on air for doing a fantastic um, piece of pr- producing this afternoon um, we had quite a few technical difficulties in terms of trying to contact interviewees, um, so that's that's great. And pretty soon we're going to be going out with our theme song, "Black Fella, White Fella" from the Rumpy Band, and um, and we'll go from there. Now, um, next this Monday coming up, I just wanted to let people know. Um, I believe it's the twenty first of April for our show next week. It's um, going to be our special memorial show for Uncle Ray Jackson and as people are aware Ray Jackson um, passed away I'd I'd say about two years ago now Um, in 2002 or three years ago I'll have to get the exact date of when he passed and we're going to be doing a special show for him on the anniversary of his death and as you're aware he was on a, a permanent fixture on our show he was on our show just about every week when he was alive and he was very much committed to Aboriginal deaths in custody and uh, inter- and, and other very many other um, issues that, that he campaigned on. And he was very much instrumental in bringing people together and, as he used to say, black, white or brindle. So I'm already um, preparing listeners for next week, um, the 21st of April. Our show is on every Monday from 4 to 5. But do listen in this Monday from 4 to 5 and if you can't, um, listening to the show there will be um, a podcast so it's goodbye from marissa and we're going to have to leave you now and stay strong and stay safe and we're going to be going out now with Blackfellow Whitefellow white fella from the rumpy band